The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 3. These words the Lord spoke to all of your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day, we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you, Stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, 
as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm one of the pastors here. Add my welcome to Aaron's. We're really glad to have you with us. We got a new pastor, we got new members. We got people sitting in overflow where the air conditioning may or may not be working right now. That's how you know God is real, when you got people who are willing to stay at church when the air conditioning is not working. So, overflow, we see, well, we don't see you, but we're glad that you're there and that you're here. Uh, and if you're visiting with us, we are really glad that you're here. Thanks for your patience with us this morning. We know it's packed in here and tight. We know everybody was excited uh, to see baptisms and new members, and so uh, we are aware that's a problem, that it's this tight, but we're also excited to have such a good problem. And we've got this many people here, so thanks for being with us. We are picking back up this morning our study in the book of Deuteronomy. And just by way of reminder, we've been away from it for a couple of weeks. We were, you know, during Holy Week, we were in 1 Corinthians. And before that, we had slowed down to look at the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. So you may have just forgotten what we've been looking at, what's been going on in this book. And so just to give you a quick refresher, Israel has been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Moses has been recounting a lot of the history that we heard in Exodus. So if you remember that story, they spent a year after they were delivered at Mount Sinai, where they made a covenant with God to obey his laws. If you know the rest of the story, of course you know they immediately broke that covenant. They did not keep his laws. They did spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness until all of that disobedient generation had died off. And now, finally, the next generation is on the edge of going into the promised land uh, that God had promised to their parents' generation. And they are preparing to go in. And in the first few chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses has been recounting all of this history, going back through it. And he's telling this next generation of Israelites, don't be like your parents. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep. God has graciously redeemed us. He's called us to be a holy people, a kingdom of priests. He's called us to bless the world. And so let's respond to him in obedience. And as a part of that invitation, Moses repeats the law given at Mount Sinai, beginning with that great summary of the law, the Ten Commandments, which we've been looking at uh, this spring. This morning, we pick back up in the passage right after that. So immediately following the recounting of the giving of the Ten Commandments, and Moses is continuing the story. He's telling this next generation of Israelites how their parents responded to God when he gave them the Ten Commandments. And he's telling them how it is that he came to be the one that's now teaching them the law as he's going to do throughout the rest of Deuteronomy. And what we find is that after the people heard the Ten Commandments, they realized that they needed something. They needed a mediator. They realized as they had heard the law that they had a problem. They needed someone to serve as a go-between for them and God. And that's the role that Moses is called into. And so on one level, this passage is a story about how Moses came to be Israel's teacher and mediator. But as we said at the beginning of our study of Deuteronomy, Jesus, after he rises from the dead in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, 27, he's having this conversation with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he tells them all of the Old Testament scriptures 
point forward to him. And so on another level, the story that we're looking at this morning is about how all of us need a mediator and about how God graciously grants one. You can see our outline there in your bulletin. The awe of God's presence leads to the desire for a mediator. God treasures his people's reverence and graciously grants a mediator. And then finally, the mediator calls God's people to an obedience that leans into the promises of God. So that's how we'll try to navigate the text this morning. Let me pause and pray, and we'll ask God to bless our time in his word. Let's pray together. Lord, Moses told these very same people that your word is not an empty word. It is not a vain word. It is your very, our very life. We know that we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. That your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And Lord, we desire to walk with you this morning. So would you show us the way? We want to see marvelous things from your law. With the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Have you ever had a situation where you showed up to an event or a restaurant and you realized, I'm underdressed, not dressed for this. This is a more serious situation than I thought. This is a formal wedding. I thought this was kind of a casual linen suit situation. It's not one of those weddings. It's one of the black tie situations. Um, I don't feel like there are that many restaurants that do this anymore, but do you remember those white tablecloth places, gentlemen, where if you didn't have a jacket, they would bring one out for you? And it was always like ill-fitting to like shame you into remembering next time to bring, a, bring your own jacket from home. It's unnerving to have that moment where you realize, oh, this is more serious than I thought. I was not prepared for this. I wasn't ready for all that this was going to hold. Our passage this morning begins with Israel responding to God speaking the Ten Commandments. And he speaks them to them from the midst of the cloud of fire on Mount Sinai. And Israel's response appropriately is, okay, I don't think we're dressed for this. This is intense. This is more than we signed up for. Look back at verses 23 and 24 with me. Moses tells them, as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? Israel has this response where they realize like this is, God just thundered out of a cloud of fire, the 10 commandments. You have some sympathy for this, right? That they are like, okay, that's a little scary. That's a lot. God descended on the mountain and told them the 10 commandments. They saw his glory and greatness, They heard the voice of God and they absolutely marvel at it. They're amazed that they've had this encounter and lived. But what are the very next words out of their mouth? Look back at verses 25 through 27. For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. 
For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. What are they saying in those couple of verses? I think to summarize, they're saying, Moses, this can't happen again, right? I don't know how we survived this time, but nobody gets to hear the voice of the living God and just walk away unscathed. There's no way we're doing this again. You go talk to him, you come and report back to us. We'll listen to everything you say and obey, but this is not sustainable. We can't keep having encounters with God like this. They're terrified. And it's tempting because it's Israel to assume that that's wrong somehow, because they usually get it wrong, don't they? It's tempting to think uh, Israel is not leaning in to God's presence. They have the opportunity to hear from God. Who wouldn't want that? Why are they trying to get away from it? As I was doing my first read-through on this passage, preparing to preach it this week, that's where my mind went. So typical. Israel has this chance to hear from God and they move away because of their fear. But look at how God assesses their request in verse 28. I've heard the words of this people, which they've spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. God says in effect, yeah, that is a good call. You do need a mediator. He goes even further in verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments. They fear him. They want a mediator. And God says, oh, that your heart was always like this. What's going on here? I think what's happening is, having seen God descend on the mountain in fire, having heard him proclaim the law, Israel has become aware in a way they've never been aware before of God's holiness and their sinfulness. They are painfully aware of the gap that exists between them and they are scared. We see this happen a lot in the Old Testament. When people have encounters with God, they're often afraid. The angel of the Lord will show up and people are, and they're always saying, what are the first words out of an angel's mouth in the Bible? Do not be afraid. They're always saying that because they show up in glory and it's terrifying. And people always think the minute they see him, we're dead. We're dead. Remember Isaiah 6? The prophet has that vision of the Lord on his throne. And there are seraphim flying around crying, holy, holy, holy. And God speaks and the foundations of the temple start to shake and the whole place fills with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me for I am lost. Isaiah comes into the presence of God. He hears his voice and he thinks, I'm a dead man. And the only reason he's not a dead man is because we know a few verses later, one of the seraphim comes and touches his mouth with a coal from the altar tells him his sin has been atoned for. Apart from his sin being dealt with, he would have been toast. And Israel is having that same experience at Mount Sinai. They've just heard the law, their sin has been exposed and they are realizing our unholiness is too close to his holiness. It's like getting too close to the sun, right? The sun at an appropriate distance brings light and life. Plants grow. Some of you get a tan, I don't and many of us don't, and we hate the rest of you who do. But the closer you get, the more dangerous it is, right? To get too close to the sun is realize, to realize I'm not made of the right stuff to survive this. 
And as human beings, we were made for relationship with God. We were made to be in proximity to him. But after the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, every human being has a problem. Our sin means we are no longer made of the right stuff to survive the encounter. He is a holy God and we are sinful people. That's what Israel is feeling. We're too close to the sun. Have you had that moment where you realize that a gap exists between you and God because of your sin? We just got to hear a bunch of people take vows saying they've had that moment. You acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure. Israel is having that moment. And the solution they come up with is, Moses, you go talk to him. You come back and tell us what he says. We need a go-between. We need a mediator. And God treasures that response. Did you notice that? We highlighted this a little bit. I already pointed it out in verses 28 and 29. But God says, they're right. They have an accurate view of who he is and who they are. And they're trying to take him seriously. And did you notice how much joy God takes in their posture? Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. God treasures this reverence and this awe. Now, it's easy to look at this and see Israel responding in fear and God saying, yes, that's it. And think, what kind of God is this? Why is he so thrilled with their fear? But we have to remember when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about fear the way you and I usually use that word. There's some overlap, but the Bible often has in mind awe or reverence. I wonder if any of you have ever met like a a famous person, a celebrity, or just someone who was really significant to you in some way. And you had a chance to meet them and to shake their hand and to talk for a minute. If you remember that experience, if you're a normal person, right, your heart rate went up, you got, your hands got a little sweaty, your mouth got a little dry, and you all of a sudden can't think of anything normal to say, right? You just feel awkward and weird. There's something about people of a certain stature that throws us off. It's overwhelming. Occasionally we get actually in um, certain situations with ordinary people that we care about, that we know really well, but we get into high pressure situations with them. And that same experience happens. Gentlemen, those of you who are married, do you remember proposing to your wife? Right, a person that you love deeply, person that you know deeply, you've had a million conversations. And yet when it came to that conversation, when it came to you popping the big question, all of a sudden you were a bundle of nerves. Right, you've asked this person a million questions, all of a sudden you're dry heaving. You can't get it out. And ladies, I have to imagine, for those of you who had that, that that's a sweet memory in some ways. Not because he's nervous about you or afraid of you, but because you realize as he's having that experience, this moment matters to him. And I matter to him. And it scared him a little bit. And you realized, oh, he's taking this seriously. That, I think, is what is happening in verse 29. God is treasuring the fact that his people are taking him seriously. That finally he matters to them. 
This relationship matters to them. They recognize the stakes. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. God treasures the reverence they offer him and he grants their request. Gives them a mediator. Look back at verses 30 and 31. It's the Lord saying to Moses, go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. God says Moses can stand in the gap. He can tell you everything I say and then you be careful to do it. The people need a mediator and God graciously grants it. I wonder if part of the reason God is so eager to grant their request is because of the way it points to their need for an even better mediator. Because right now what Israel wants is someone to stand between them and God and tell them everything he says. But we know from the rest of scripture, what Israel really needs is someone to stand between them and God and do everything he says on their behalf. Because that's where they're going to fail. They're not gonna keep that thing they said. That's the irony at the end of verse 27. They says, we, we will hear and do it. Spoiler alert, no, they won't. They say that a lot in the Torah. All that Yahweh has commanded, we will do. If you know anything about the story, they barely do anything that Yahweh has commanded. They don't just need someone to stand in the gap and tell them what to do. They need someone to do it because they cannot. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Or as he says earlier in that chapter, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They don't just need someone to tell them what God says. They need someone who can actually do it. And of course, the only one who has ever been able to do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mediator that God graciously grants us. As we see more of our sin and more of God's holiness and think, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God says, of course. He treasures that response and he graciously provides for us. He provides his son to live the life we couldn't live and to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. He graciously grants a mediator. Finally, in our passage, that mediator, Moses, calls God's people to obedience. But it's an important call that Moses gives about this obedience. It's an obedience that leans into the promise of God. If you look back at verse 32, there's a shift. In all of chapter five, Moses has been recounting the story of how Israel received the 10 commandments. He's reminding that second generation, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, of how their parents received the law, how we got to this point. They wanted a mediator between them and God, and they got one in Moses. And now in verse 32, Moses stops looking backward and telling that story, and he comes back to the audience in front of him on the plains of Moab, the second generation ready to go in. And he starts telling them how to respond. This is how you respond to the giving of the law. This is the takeaway of why he's been telling them all of this. Look back at verse 32 through the first three verses of chapter six. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. 
You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. So why has Moses been recounting all of this history? So that their generation will do what their parents' generation did not, hear and obey. Notice all of that motivational language in those few verses I just read. Five times we read, so that or that. Why obey? Verse 33, that you may live, that it may go well, that you may live long. Verse two of chapter six, that your days may be long. Verse three of chapter six, that you may multiply greatly. Now it's tempting to read all of that and think that Israel's obedience will earn them all of this blessing. But don't miss that final line of verse three, look back there as Moses wraps up that little portion of the speech. That you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you. Has promised you. All of those blessings that Moses lists are anchored in the promises of God. Christopher Wright notes, they are gifts of grace to be appropriated and enjoyed through obedience. We said this over and over again throughout the Ten Commandments series, but it's worth repeating again because we miss it all the time. Israel is not called to obey so that they will be delivered. They have already been delivered. It was not obey these commandments and I will bring you out of Egypt. It was, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out, past tense. And so they were to obey the law of God, but the reason makes all the difference. They were not called to obey for their acceptance with God. They were called to obey from their acceptance. They were called to lean into the promises God had made and obey his law. John Ortberg uses the language uh, as he talks about obedience in the Christian life of boating. And he uses a, a few different examples to talk about the way we commonly think of obedience in the Christian life. So some Christians will think of the Christian life as rowing a boat, right? We need to get from point A to point B. And if we're gonna do that, we better get to work. You better start working those oars. And if you work hard enough, fast enough, you'll get there. Other Christians think, ah, it's too legalistic. So they think of the Christian life more like you're on a raft. No rudder, no oars, no work, right? Just lay there. The currents will magically get us there. But of course, there's too much obedience language in the Bible to think we are called to complete passivity. And so Ortberg finishes by comparing the Christian life to sailing. On a sailboat, you can't move unless there's wind, right? You don't control it. You can't manufacture it, but a good sailor knows he or she has a role to play. They discern the winds and set the sails and the boat gets moving. As Moses begins expounding the law for the next generation, he's not calling them to work their way into the promised land. 
He is calling them to set the sails and lean into the promises of God. He has delivered you. He will deliver on everything else he's promised you. A land flowing with milk and honey. A long life. It will go well with you. So follow him. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Go with him. And as followers of Jesus, the dynamic is much the same for us. We don't obey to get something from God that he hasn't already promised us. Paul tells us he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We don't obey to get something that he hasn't already promised us. We set the sails and we lean into the promises of God. We have been exposed. We need a mediator and God has provided one. And now he's calling us to follow him. And he's promising to give us everything we need to do that. And so let's follow the Lord this morning. Let's not turn to the right or to the left. He has provided everything we need for life and godliness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him as we close this morning and prepare to sing. Lord God, we know that we are not sufficient to keep your law. None of us can do it. None of us are righteous, Lord. And so we need you. We need a mediator. We need Jesus. And we thank you that you have provided him for us. I pray, Lord, this morning for those who perhaps have not yet believed. Would you help them to see, to see the gap? But more than that, Lord, to see your love, that you would bridge that gap. And for those of us who have believed, Lord, would you help our unbelief? Would you draw us again to yourself? Jesus, you told us if we love you, we'll keep your commandments. And so would you help us to do that? We long to follow you with everything that we have. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.